Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I am your host here in the city of Chicago. Not joining us this week, but he'd be angry if I didn't introduce him first. Anyway, regular co-host Clint Fitzgerald <laughs> is on special assignments. But have no fear, because with us as ever is Jed Brewer. Greetings! And also with us is Lee Younger. I, I When you said special assignment, I imagined Glenn <laughs> in one of those... Uh, uh, news interviews where he's in the middle of the hurricane and he's like, Matt, I'm having trouble hearing you. The wind is blowing really hard. You can see by the palm trees. That's right. I think that's great. Either that's yeah. a great special assignment interpretation. It also could mean we send him to Birmingham to work on his curveball. Sure. Sure. <laughs> um, these are all, these are all options and could all be true. We don't know that he's not taking a hurricane pitching course right now. Does this, mean, happen. does this mean that we're officially under protest on the podcast? Well, that's interesting, because when Lee's not here, Glenn's under protest. Sure, I was going to suggest being in mourning. That that feels like, you know, something Glenn would want. Who's going to do the ending? Do we, like, do we call Glenn and have him record an ending on the voice memos of his iPhone? Like, what happens? What's the what's the protocol for that? Wow, that is you an know, excellent question. If I was a more industrious person, I could probably just pull one off an old recording. But that's probably not going to happen either. But maybe. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds like a lot of work. These are all podcast realities. Well, another podcast realities. We have a great show for you. We've got a couple of great questions. We have an interview with Vicar Derek Kabilis of right. the Crossover Q podcast, a man Recently featured on 60 Minutes and in the Washington Post, no less. Also on our humble little show to talk uh, the church and QAnon and how we got to the place of uh, conspiracy theories being very widespread in the evangelical community, how we can hopefully move past that and a lot of other good stuff. So that's going to be a great chat. We've got some of your amazing questions. But first, I'm forced to declare an oh boy emergency. Yeah. Oh, that didn't sound good. Nope. We have a lot of subgenres of emergency on this show. We have a Christian movie emergency. We have a crazy things somebody said to us in real life emergency. We have a weird Christian product that someone sends us emergency. <laughs> and this one is kind of the the DEFCON 5. Oh. Oh, I read the headline and it's worse than I thought emergency. Like a like the kind of emergency where like God rest his soul Bernie Mac would just be shaking his head. Yep. That's yeah, exactly right. Disbelief. Yeah. I'm going to read you a headline from the New York Post, which I'm worried is going to get. I'm worried that website is going to give my computer some kind of virus, but we'll push through. A headline <laughs> from New York Post that says, New dating site for Christians slams feminists and soy boys. Oh, my. Soy boys? I, gentlemen, I'm, I'm not up on all the new slang. What, what, break down for me. What is a soy boy? Right. Same. Me too. Same. Well, if you've been used to eating like a, a beef boy or a pork boy, but your doctor wanted you to reduce your sodium, you might go into this. That's what um, I assume it is. There's also a chance that it's a, re- a, a weird kind of right wing meme that men are have been effeminized because they no longer um, are deeply traumatized by things that happened to them in their youth and that kind of deal. Wait, so if I need a milk alternative because my body has betrayed me, yeah, then all of a sudden I'm not a man any longer. Well, not not a Western one. Wait, you Nazified food? What is yeah. wrong with you people? Well, it turns wow. out if you well, there, as as the scriptures tell us, to the pure, all things are pure. And it turns out there's a corollary. If you're a massive weirdo, you can make anything a massive weirdo indicator. 
Well, um, that is definitely true. Which we're going to find out as we we dig into this story. So I believe I believe the soy boys are the the people who would rather like read a book than give each other head trauma. And that's <laughs> oh, bad. Interesting. <laughs> you know they'll show a they'll show a they'll show a meme. It's like a picture of a guy who did not fight in the Second World War, but dressed like played a guy who did in a movie. Okay, like oh. what happened memo like this, and then they'll show a guy who's like drinking a nice mug of cocoa and looks serene and be like, how did we get here? Sure. He's yes. Like, I hate serenity. Yeah. Less generational trauma is probably how he got there. And one. Yeah. That might be good. Just a thought. My <laughs> thing is like, if I sit on a porch and enjoy a, 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 a warm breakfast beverage. Sure. Made from a, 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 the bean of a, a coffee bean and a milk alternative mat. And I'm in peace and happiness. Why does that make me bad? Well, mm. because the the key uh, sport of some of our our friends on the internet, particularly, is inventing a person and then getting very mad. Ah. <laughs> so there's no person who doesn't do whatever weird way you would post uh, manly things because uh, one of the, by far one of the most masculine people uh, any of the three of us know and like in every way you can imagine uh, enjoys keeping bees. That's true. And 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 knitting and painting with watercolors. That's right. And uh if you want to call him a soy boy, good luck. And, uh, <laughs> Have fun with that. <laughs> well, we're gonna, that's going to filter on here because uh, actually that's a very good point because there're plenty of people now who've made their living out of owning the libs. So they might write articles that own the libs, or they might uh, put out a YouTube show or a television show that owns the libs, and that's how they know it's good, and they get a certain amount of feed in that. This thing that's being pitched here is the first ever dating website pitched at owning the libs. Ah. Uh, Bold biblical singles are being called upon to join the latest Christian-based online dating platform, Dominion Dating. Okay. Here's a fun sense. As the brand suggests, Dominion Dating caters to religious singles who seek to fulfill marriage traditions as defined by the Old Testament. (laughs) Okay. It's evangelical Christians who looked at all the things that is written about marriage in the Bible and said, we'll stop at the minor prophets, please. Okay. Okay. okay, Matt sent me a link. This literally says uh, a pledge to commit to male headship. I don't know what that okay. means. I don't I don't look good in hats. Do I have to wear hats? <laughs> oh my gosh. This so is yeah, unbelievable. There's, a, there's a few things going on here. There's male headship. It seeks seeks to reject careerism as normative oh. for women. Lord. Um so yeah. Here's a shock. The social media claims to boast 1,000 plus users by the time they launch in August. Okay. Would anybody care to put in a guess on what the gender ratio of those 1,000 users is going to be? Oh, dude. This might be another limiting factor. Uh, sexual purity is also a requisite for the relationship matching service, which means, hey. ca- quote, casual dating as well as, quote, Fornication, watching pornography, dressing sensually or immodestly, <laughs> and entertaining lustful thoughts 
are all forbidden among singles. Uh, so no one's who's had a lustful thought. Yeah, like I the following is a rhetorical question. I specifically do not want an actual answer, but how are you planning to enforce this? Yeah. <laughs> also, I'm getting I'm trying to understand why they stopped at the Old Testament. Because there's a guy in that second half of that book who has some very specific things to say about who has lustful thoughts. Oh, <laughs> you wouldn't mean everyone, would you? Doesn't sound right. Uh, well, here's a, here's a good, but here's an answer to uh, Jed's question of how do they plan to enforce some of this stuff. Um, in order to sign up, you need a signed letter from your evangelical pastor of one of the approved denominations. Uh, do, do I, I have to know, do they list what the approved denominations are? No, it's just sufficiently, they might as well put in parentheses, you know which ones. <laughs> yeah. I will say, this is a quote, because um, they, they have a podcast. What's it called? Mm, you were going to make me say it. The Hard Men podcast. Well, uh, <laughs> uh, they want they're they're all about recovering biblical masculinity in a world of softness. Okay, that's a direct quote. Here's the thing, guys. Um, <laughs> it was like 15 years ago at this point that Mark Driscoll said that thing about I can't respect a <laughs> Jesus that I can beat up, and he's got a Jesus is a cage fighter with a tattoo on his leg and all that, and it's like. Guys, we have to push past this. Yeah. What do you think masculinity means? Yeah. Because again, the main guy in that book you claim to like wept over a city and I said, I have longed to collect you under my gentle wings. Yes, like a mother hen. Yeah. <laughs> Only described himself once and said, I am gentle and humble of heart. Yeah. yeah. If you want to look at the Old Testament in terms of, you know, biblical masculinity and biblical manhood, the story of David and Jonathan comes to mind. A no lot reason. A lot of tenderness there, a lot of affection there, um, worth thinking about. Yeah, so we're recovering the biblical masculinity. Uh, oh, this ties into a, uh, a thing we talked about uh, last week. They also don't like critical race theory. They threw that in just because, you know. What? Got to collect the whole set. Can I ask? I'm just Please. curious. And again, this is largely rhetorical. In the Venn diagram of adherence to critical race theory and people who might want to use this dating service, is there any overlap at all? No, but it's all about signaling. Yes. It's a dating app to own the libs. It really is. That is the worst idea. If you could fill out a profile like on other dating sites where it's like hobbies, the only one available would be owning the libs. Yeah. yeah. I wish that was the byline. The worst idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's an amazing scene. It's an old, old movie now. There's an amazing scene in the movie Office Space where a guy shares a, a really bad idea. And the immediate response from a man clutching his head in his hands is... That is the worst idea I've ever heard. Yeah. Just something to think about. Well, speaking of an even worse idea, and it, I want to be very clear on this. We're making fun of this one. We're not making fun of dating apps or dating sites in general. Uh, sure. Oh, I was actually having a conversation with my friend the other day. 
I think I know someone who's uh, in a happy marriage who first met on like every major dating site. It's awesome. From your, your match.coms to your eHarmonies to your coffee meets bagels and your bumbles and the, the whole shtick. It's, it's a lovely thing to put yourself out there. And it's, it's a great idea. Uh, don't do this, however, of course, um, because they're doing kind of a Kickstarter thing to try to get to their funding and this uh, thousand user uh, Nirvana here. Um, so the tier, so it's like, I guess it's 15 bucks a month. So you can sign up for a tier one is you get 15, you get one month, two months, three months. Then it gets weird. You'd be a tier four supporter, a dominion level supporter mm. for a hundred dollars. Here's what you get. 10 one month memberships to give away and fuel the marriage reformation. Oh, Great option gosh. for churches, discipleship programs, and kingdom minded individuals. Uh, uh- Okay. Tier five, the straight fire level is the same thing, but you get 51 month memberships. If you thought your Christian aunt was annoying <laughs> by asking you, if you signed up for eHarmony, I want you to imagine the family or church yeah. where yeah. someone yeah. has 50 of these to give away. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I'm just stuck on the phrase marriage reformation. Cause I assume that means they had problems with the sitting marriage Pope. <laughs> here is i know that this is not the case but but there's so much negativity and awfulness in the world that i at this point i'm willing to invent things that aren't true but that are positive just to make myself feel better and so i'm going to do that here here's the Sweet. not true but positive thing that in my mind here's what happens is you sign up for the dominion dating and you go through and you meet a person and it says you have a match you know would you like to talk further blah, 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 and you hit yes and at that point the whole website changes and it's just a kind, kind, gently man in a sweater saying, have you ever thought about getting some counseling? You ever, you ever thought about maybe talking to wow. somebody and, oh, it's, it's a honeypot. This is what I'm saying. It's a honeypot for actual much needed professional counseling. Yeah. I like that. It's just a, a, a dude who, uh, works out regularly and is a military veteran, but is just sitting there with a nice cup of cough tea with soy milk in it and saying, yeah, yeah. What do, you, what do you think these ideas came from? Do you yeah, think they're helping you, you? You doing okay? <laughs> How are you feeling, man? I think uh, that if it doesn't make its thousand-member thing, now my question is, can we buy this? Once this thing goes down, <laughs> can we buy the domain <laughs> and, and make that? it this? But here's, here's the other thing, Matt, is that if they... And you know this is true. If they don't hit the thousand member mark, what they're going to say is, "This current culture just doesn't have bold biblical singles." That's right. We were we were too hardcore. Yeah. What well, what well, the the here's my favorite version of the downfall is that the TikTok teens become <laughs> aware of this website. Wow. And and infiltrate it. I would buy tickets to that. Now that's a real possibility because the way this was brought to my attention is my wife found it via someone on TikTok making fun of it. Okay. So we're halfway there. <laughs> and I hope some TikTok teen who's a little bored but who knows how to use uh some web software cuz I'm going to guess these people did not pay for the good back-end security. Nope. Can get in there and just somehow infiltrate this with the profiles of every Oberlin attending, multi piercing, having. <laughs> wow. 
just poetry major <laughs> just attending let's get some some cultural cross-pollination going and see if we can't calm everybody down as a quick note for the for the say that listener whether long term or, or casual one of the things that just fuels the high quality content in this podcast is a supernatural ability on the part of one Matthew King to find the exact right reference on a microsecond of notice because yeah. Oberlin was the perfect choice. Exactly. And he nailed that. Yeah. Yeah. That you know, was that that was a bullseye. I, it was it was the Renaissance master Michelangelo who said I I'd free the form from the marble and I'm not drawing comparison, <laughs> but sometimes it's just right there. And with that hilariously self-aggrandizing point, we're going to point, we're going to declare emergency off. Now, if you would like to support our ongoing uh, shenanigans, and I think if we get a thousand bridge box signups, we can certainly afford to buy dominion dating and yep. cross-reference it with uh, some kind of online counseling service, and the yep. world will all be better for it. Uh, you can you can do your part at missionusa.com slash bridgebox. You can sign up there for only $8 a month, which is less than a one month of a Dominion dating membership. And uh, I dare say you're going to get more out of it. Songs, sermons, Bible studies, uh, all sorts of good stuff, missionusa.com slash bridgebox. You can also, for entirely free $0, Every week, check out our Bridge Live service over at Facebook.com slash BridgeChicago, 7.30 p.m. Central Time every Tuesday. And if you can't catch it live, every single episode is archived at that same Facebook page for your perusal. We're going to jump to our first question here. It comes in. If you hang out with us all the way to the end, I'll use some ways to get in touch with this. Or you can scroll down to your episode description and click the links you find there. Our first question comes into our Tumblr and says... I've been alone for most of my life. However, as I get to know people more, I feel that I needed more interaction with them. But they have their own lives to, li- own lives to live, work to do, so they're e- either busy or sometimes they just ignore me. I start to get scared of being lonely again, but I don't want to act in anger and spout negativity towards them. What should I do? And I'm very happy you wrote this question in. I think it's a great one. And Lee, we, we get a lot of, we have gotten a lot of questions over the years from people who were an earlier step in this journey. And we even got some uh, during the pandemic, obviously a lot of people have been dealing with loneliness of, I, I don't feel like I have a good friend group around me. How do I, how do I go about that? And we've, we've encouraged people to, you know, meet like-minded people, get in, put yourself out there, you know, take some, take some swings at it. So I'm, it's really interesting that now we have a person who's done that. And now we're dealing with something that is a fairly normal part of a social life. You know, somebody doesn't text you back. Somebody cancels plans. Right. But we don't have that pre-existing framework to put that in. And it's kind of wigging us out. So where would we start with kind of defanging the feelings on this? That's a really good, that's a really good way to ask that question. Defanging the feelings is really cool because one of the things that I think is, is hard to, um, it, it's it's hard to remember that certain things happen and feelings just give you a certain amount of adrenaline. You just like something happens and your heart rate changes. Your you you feel it in your stomach. You you literally have a physical reaction to the way that certain things feel. Um, I think that that coping with this stuff comes with 
um, a need to deal with some emotional kind of discipline. Um, mentally, you you have to recognize I can't let myself get swept away by uh, uh, the what I would call like a victim narrative. Um, so like like you're saying, Matt, you know, certain things happen, and one of the easiest things to do in the world would be to say, if people aren't with me, it's because no one wants to be around me. Um, that's kind of a it's it's a way to take the facts and to and to build a story around them. Um, the fact is, I'm not hanging out with anybody today. The fact is, some of the people I want to hang out with sometimes hang out with other people. The easiest thing for me in the world to do would be to construct a narrative which says they want to hang out with those people and not with me. And what? In in order to not do that, you actually have to intentionally not let yourself go down the road of a victim narrative. Um, you have to not let certain thoughts take over. And what you do is that you you have to intentionally do something that is thinking with empathy. Now, the really cool thing for our question asker is, and this may not be everybody listening to the show right now, but our, our question asker is already like halfway down the road here. Um, you're, you're already kind of halfway down the road with the hardest part, because even in the way that you're asking the question, you're recognizing the fact that people have busy lives and people have other things to do. Well, that's a really, really cool thing because, um, you know, uh, people may be struggling. People may have difficult schedules. People may have uh, a difficult time organizing the part where they're working or the part where they're in school or the part where they hang out with friends, with the, with the friends that they want to hang out with and working out those schedules. I like, um, I, I, I like where you're starting with this. And what you have to do is you have to carry that intentionally through the process of saying, if I'm not with somebody right now, that doesn't necessarily mean they don't want to be with me. They may have some other things going on. That's the kind of mental discipline that we need to have in order to not let a, a negative narrative take over on this. Um, and then the other thing after that is the idea of kind of, you know, so we have, we have uh, kind of two layers here. One is the mental emotional layer of, I don't want to let uh, a, ne- a negative narrative uh, drive the bus of, what I feel and what I think. And I've got to do that intentionally by, by thinking and feeling with empathy towards the people that I want to hang out with. Practically, um, what I want to do is, um, I want to be the person that creates some times to hang out. And what, to me, a great place to start on that is to look at points of contact. So I look at this person in my life. What's the thing that we both share in common? Well, we both like uh, Middle Eastern food. So I'm going to ask, you know, a a new place has opened up on this street with some Middle Eastern food. I'm going to ask them if they want to go check it out with me. Or uh, this person that I want to hang out with, we both like, um, you know, all the Marvel movies that came out a few years ago. Well, there's a new show based on some characters in one of those Marvel movies. I'm going to set up a watch party online and, and text them while we both watch the show. Or this person, we both like board games, so we're going to meet at this coffee shop that is now doing, uh, you know, in-person dining, and we're going to play this board game that I just got. Um, Basically, what we want to do, practically speaking, is we want to create the kinds of moments that we're longing for. In other words, it's a, a, a thing we say on the show quite often, which is, 
The thing that I most want, I want to give away for free. I want to intentionally set up the kinds of things based on points of contact with people I want to hang out with. Now, and but that only comes after I've been mentally and intentionally training myself to dismiss and disregard the negative narrative of nobody wants to be with me. And I've got to do that with, with intentionally thinking about people with empathy. People have busy lives. Uh, people have had a year of not being able to hang out, so they're out of practice on hanging out with people. It's not necessarily a situation that people don't want to be with me. People have a difficult time getting together right now. And so I want to think with empathy, and then I want to practically set up my own kind of hangouts based on points of contact. Those are all really, really intentional steps. Some of them practical, some of them emotional. And you're and question asker, you're already down the road on on that, <clears throat> excuse me, on that mental piece. And that's the kind of place that we need to head so that we don't get caught in the very easy trap of that negative narrative of nobody wants to be with me. I think it's a really, really great place to start this off. I think that's exactly the right note to come in on. And Jed, let me get you to pick us up there because I think one of the things that uh, Lee is pointing to, one of the things that can be uh, a bad habit, and a, but happens a lot, is very common with uh, people who have been through a period of loneliness. And we see this a lot with folks who are in addiction or locked up, who uh, just had a very isolating lifestyle. Sometimes when they come out, the first one or a couple of friends they make, there's this idea that this is where I will get all my social socializing now. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes people just really aren't there. Can't meet that need that you're putting forward. As Lee points out, that's not bad. I mean, it has nothing to reflect on you, but we do have to start learning how to navigate what friendships are and how they're different. Right. No, that's absolutely right. Uh, Lee has already given you some really great stuff on this. I'd really just add in one kind of big picture point, and that is to say that different relationships have different rhythms to them mm. um, in, in terms of just how frequently you're going to have interaction. You know, so um, a person that you are uh, a, a person that you are either married to or or like a roommate. I mean you're probably going to see that person multiple times a day, every day. That's just kind of the, the nature of the setup on the far uh, in terms of level of interaction on the far opposite side of it. I have plenty of people that I love and that I care about. And I definitely feel close to that. I talk to a couple times a year um, and none of, and, and I have kind of all kinds of interactions levels between that people I talk to, you know, a couple times a week or a couple times a month or, uh, what have you. And none of that is inherently bad. Um, it's not a case where if you only talk to a person, you know, once or twice a month, then it's not a real relationship or it doesn't count or whatever. It's not, it's not like that. Um, what's important though, is to develop a sense for what different relationships in your life kind of want to be, what, what they are capable of being um, and then kind of balancing that against your own needs. So let's look at it this way. You could not handle like just literally logistically, you couldn't handle having 10 relationships that involved hourly interaction. You just, you absolutely could not do that. You don't have enough yeah. time and bandwidth to do that. If you had 
10 relationships that were all, we talk once a year though, that's leaving a heck of a lot of time that is unspoken for and where there's maybe not a lot of human contact going on. So if you've got a relationship where, you know what, we talk once a year, we could probably talk twice a year and it would still be good and maybe we should do that, but it's just the nature of the relationship. We're not going to interact much more than that. We don't have to try and force that relationship to be something else, but we, we should be saying, but then I need other relationships in my life that do have a more frequent level of interaction. So I need to be, continue to build friendships and continue to expand my relational network so that I am filling um, those, those slots, so to speak. I, I think what you will find, I think what any of us would find is that a really rich relational life has a range to it. Um, there is a value to people that you talk with a couple times a year. There's a value to people that you talk with a couple times a day and, and everything in between. All of those are valuable and that they have, in a sense, their own charms. Um, I think that you should be working to have a bit of each of those. Mm. Um, I think your, your life and your relational life would be most enriched by having a bit of each of those um, without insisting that any of them be something that they're really not set up to be without insisting that the once a year people that you talk to them every day or that you will never talk to your roommate more than once a year, because that would be really hard to pull off. So kind of taking that sense of grace and adaptability and marrying it to a sense of your own relational needs, I think will get you to a place that is good and that has a rich quality to it. I think those are both amazing, amazing answers. And the the one thing I'd want to, tack on the end here is to the question asked specifically and to people who have been in this place. We talk a lot on the show at times about how loneliness is nothing to be ashamed of mm. and shame is not going to help you fix that problem. And that goes for when it comes to admitting that you're lonely and getting out there and meeting people. But it also comes to stuff like this. Um, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing uh, inherently Uh, dysfunctional about what you're describing here. It's just learning to navigate a new thing in your life. And it's a good thing. Um, Having friends is, is a great thing. It's, it's a blessing. And we, you want to have that. We want that for you, but it is also a new thing. It's something you have to learn to, to navigate what it is, what it isn't. And that's all totally fine. And you have actually a good, a good handle on that. And the, the other important thing to constantly remind yourself is, uh, it, it feels like sometimes, and we talk about this with dating sometimes, when it feels like you've done the hard part, it is easy to, another mental trap like Lee was describing there, it's easy to fall into is, I never want to do the hard part again. Like, I went from zero to a handful of friends, and that was insane. What happened? Oh, God, what if I lose the handful? And that can lead to all sorts of problems, like lashing out like you're describing. That could lead to putting up with toxic people we talk about on, on the show. You've gone from zero to one. That's the hardest it ever gets. So you've done the hardest part of this and can do that again. There's there's a great joke by uh, the comedian Mark Maron who says, I only need two, two friends. I need the guy. And then when I uh, exhaust him from all my putting all my emotions <laughs> on him, I need the other guy. And that is a joke about how that's not a good way to do friendship. <laughs> so. Also, it's a great thing to work on if you're when you're doing things, you know, almost in the same way as we talk about, you know. When we have folks at the bridge who are our coworker Pete's helping them get a job, just because you put in an application at, you know, job one and you got an interview, that's great. 
That doesn't mean you shouldn't put in a job application at jobs two through five. Just because you got the interview, you can keep that momentum going. And it's that same thing. You found a couple of folks who you like going to, to watch the game with. That's cool. There's nothing wrong with saying, but I'm also going to do a board game night and try to do this. I'm also going to go check out this. A nice wide base is a very, very good thing. We are going to uh, move on to our next segment. This is a chat I had with uh, Methodist vicar Derek Kabilis, who has also started a podcast about QAnon. It's called Crossover Q. It's specifically about the uh, effect that QAnon has had on Christian communities and families and uh, faith communities in America. His experience, he's interviewed some some guests. We've talked about QAnon on the show before. Um, it's something that's not going away. It's something I have an interest in. So I was, I was very excited and blessed to get to sit down and talk to Vicar Kabilis about that. Uh, we got into a lot of great stuff and we focused here on um, where do we go? And that could be if you're in a leadership role, if you know people, if you're just part of this culture that has dealt with this thing to where it is now. Uh, what is getting to the other side of that look at? It's, an, it's a chat I'm very excited for you folks to hear. And we will take you to that right now. Well, uh, Vicar Kabilis, I'm, I'm glad you, you joined us. And I'm excited to get into a lot of this QAnon stuff. We obviously don't have time to cover it all. But that's why there's, uh, I believe, six or seven episodes of Crossover Q up mm-hmm. and ready for people to dig into who want some more of it. but. What was, what was your introduction to the idea of QAnon, and what was the point where you decided you needed to start making this a thing you were speaking about regularly? Well, I think I was first exposed to it early. I remember watching a new news broadcast and seeing some Trump rally at some point where people were holding up signs that had Q on them. Mm. And I went into the Google machine and tried to figure out what that was. And I immediately recognized it as like a uh, a new spin on a real old timey kind of conspiracy theory um, about a secret cabal of people who were trying to take over the world. And oh, at the same time, they worship the devil. And oh, at the same time, they eat children, right? right. Um, and uh, I just thought, oh, you know, perfect. Um, but I didn't really pay it much mind. But then it just never went away. And you kept hearing more and more about it. And then um, when I saw the Capitol insurrection, I, I came home from work and I, I was watching it with my wife. And we were just so appalled dispirited especially when we saw crosses and confederate flags and q flags marching into the capital together right um and then of course all that extra footage came out from people's cameras showing us just how violent it all was and people were screaming and of course that that one woman died, a few police officers passed away. Um, And uh, I knew I had to do something and I didn't know what it was going to be. I knew I had something to say about it. I needed to address it. And I had started a podcast 
for my church to help get us through the pandemic. Mm. And I thought, you know what? I can do this. Um, I sort of have a grasp of some of this technology and I can make it happen. So um, I outlined uh, 10 episodes and that'll be just about all there will be to it. But um, I had 10 episodes worth of things that I wanted to say, plus a few interviews I wanted to do. And um, yeah, that's basically it. Absolutely. And one of the things from listening to podcasts and reading some of your writing, it's, it's clear that your take on this is it is undeniable that QAnon is a political phenomenon. It is, you know, they stormed the Capitol. It is political, but there, there is something spiritual going on. It is, it is particularly uh, popular in the evangelical community. It has some aspects to that. And you've used a word heresy to describe it. I think it's been mm-hmm. very descriptive and maybe a bit provocative. So for people who aren't used to thinking in those theological terms, what do you mean when you say QAnon is a heresy? Yeah, a heresy isn't just a bad teaching. It isn't just like a, a false teaching. It's a teaching that is um, specifically deleterious to human flourishing. It, mm. It's a teaching that harms the soul. And when I call QAnon a heresy, that is based on my experience of the effect that QAnon has had in the lives of Christians. Um, I have spoken to so many people these last few months who have Um, had strained relationships, broken relationships, uh, divorces, parents arguing with children, um, grandchildren at each other's throats because one of them wants to take grandma to go get vaccinated and the other one thinks that it's going to be a microchip. Um, Those kinds of things Uh, And it's obvious that the common thread between all of them is the fact that one of them um, is part of this obsession that people have. And it's, it's obvious to me that it's not just a belief, right? It's not just an opinion, the way we talk about those kinds of things. The people, like I've never met someone who's, who's kind of into QAnon. If that makes sure. sense, um, you're either in it or you're not. And if you're in it, um, you're thinking about it all the time. You're researching it all the time. You're sharing stuff all the time. You're talking about it with your friends and loved ones. Because um, what what people need to realize is the the QAnon story the idea that there is a secret cabal of um, uh, global elites who are worshiping Satan, eating children, who want to take over the world, that story has been designed over centuries, Mm. okay? And it has been designed particularly uh, to make people obsessed with it. To, to get people angry, to get them scared, to get them paranoid, so that they will be more politically uh, pliable, shall we say. Um, 
these are the kinds of things that the Romans under Nero said about Christians. Mm. Um, there was something called the Fiestian Banquet, which it was rumored that Christians um, during our communion services would commit acts of incest because we were constantly talking about the love between the father and the son and that we would eat children because we spoke of eating the flesh of the son and drinking mm -hmm. his blood, right? And in that case, the story was used to drum up um, uh, desire to persecute the Christians among the population. In the medieval world, Christians used stories of Jews um, uh, killing young people and drinking their blood, particularly young Christians, as a pretext for persecution, right? In the years before World War II, there was a faked document called the Elders of the Protocol or the Protocols of the Elders of Zion that was all about how the Jews were secretly trying to trans to take over the world. And that was one of the things that was used by the Germans in the run-up to the Holocaust. Um, this thing, this story, this lie is very old and it has been engineered over time uh, to help manipulate people, to turn them into um, violent, paranoid, angry people who are ready to fight and even to kill. Um, and that's... Uh, I don't know what you would call that except a heresy. I think that's a really interesting point that all the things these people are getting out of QAnon, be it a the idea of a righteous cause or a something to belong to, none of those things are inherently evil. And even the ones that no. are evil, like a desire to punish your enemies or have power, that's an evil that lives mm -hmm. within all of us. So mm -hmm. how does how did things like that play into how we as individuals or someone as a church leader or a church body is going to deal with people who fell into this going forward? Oh man, that's an excellent question. Yeah. Because our, our first reaction when someone we know, someone we love, a family member, a church member, um, even a spouse, an old friend, starts uh, spouting this stuff, um, invariably the first reaction is one of anger, mm. right? It's frustration that um, someone would believe something that is so patently ridiculous. And that, um, uh, and by the way, I just heard a podcast where this guy called it a heresy, so on and so forth. So now I'm all pumped up and I'm angry and I want to confront this person and I want to put a stop to this. Well, you just fell into the trap mm. because all that does is um, drive it deeper into their soul, you know? Um, so the first thing that you got to realize is that um, people who believe in QAnon are its first victims. 
Mm. Right. Um, they, for the most part, from what I've seen, do not live particularly happy lives. Um, they're paranoid that uh, something terrible is going to happen most of the time. They believe that, um, you know, potentially a civil war might be coming, that they are being ruled over by evil, monstrous people. Um, and that is a really terrible way to live. Um, and so we need to have compassion for them. I think you make a very good point that we don't fight dehumanization by doing it to the people who we disagree with. And I'd love to close out and thank you so much for your time with anything specifically you would steer pastors towards or anyone who's in a, a pastors, elders, anyone who's in a leadership position at a church that has, has been touched by this QAnon stuff or they fear might be what would, if you could put one thought in that person's brain going forward, what might it be? Um, it would, it would certainly be, uh, compassion, um, and humility. Mm -hmm. Um, the plain fact of the matter is we are all susceptible to this kind of thing. And in a lot of churches, pastors gain their authority by projecting a certain um, certainty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is a place, this is a problem that none of us have ever dealt with before. Mm. We can draw certain analogies to other, you know, things that we have had to navigate, um, uh, you know, different personality things that we've had to deal with, different things going on in our churches. None of us have dealt with this kind of perfect storm, this confluence of things that is attacking people and attacking our communities. I believe very quickly it has become one of the greatest threats to Christianity in America, at least today. Um, and so I would ask them to be humble, mm -hmm. um, uh, to choose their words carefully and to research. Um, I've tried to do my research. I've done enough to know that I'm not an expert. I have a few things to say, but I'm not, you know, any kind of an end-all be-all source. Uh, um, uh, the main thing is, is that we stay humble and that we continue to have compassion. Um, if there are, by the way, any denominational leaders or um, uh, folks like that who are part of larger organizations of churches, um, I think we need to start thinking about means of accountability for clergy. Mm. Because there are clergy who are spreading this, and we need to figure out on an organization how we're going to confront that issue. It's it's a beautiful answer. I dare say, uh, meeting hate and judgment with humility and compassion sounds sounds downright Christ-like, and I think that may oh. be 
a great way to look at things going forward. Vicar Derek Kabilis, the podcast is Crossover Q. I strongly urge all our listeners to check it out. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It has been an honor. All right. That was an, my interview with uh, Vicar Derek Kabilis. I want to thank him a lot for joining us. If you want to check out his podcast, which I highly recommend, if you're interested in the subject at all, it is called Crossover Q. You can find that on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, there will be links in the show description as well. And also in a say that first, what you just heard was a pretty pared down version of my chat with uh, uh, Derek there. And at some point in the in the next week or two, when I get around to it, uh, I'm going to throw the full thing up. I think we talked for about 40 minutes. Uh, there's a lot more right we on. got into about kind of the background of this, a lot of interesting stuff, kind of uh, how we got here. So be on the lookout for that. We are going to head on to our final question here. It comes in and says, I understand that God works in mysterious ways and his ways are not always as it seems. I keep praying and talking to God about dreams I'm having. And for some reason, the dreams made me very happy and joyful and it helped me get through the day. But now I'm scared that it might just be the devil tempting me and pushing me down for the fault of being of having my head too much in the clouds. How do we work all this around to ensure that only God is in the works? And a, a very interesting question here. And uh, uh, just as a point of clarification, for the sake of this show, we're going to go ahead and assume that you mean dreams in the sense of aspirations and things you want to happen, because interpreting dreams is really beyond the uh, <laughs> the, the scope or ability of anyone on this show. So um, we're not going to get into that. But I, I, Jed, I'd love to get you to, to start us off. Because I think even if we wouldn't put it this way, there is a a very common thing among uh, among all of us, but I think especially a lot of us in who've been raised in a certain kind of Christianity of, oh no, I was getting too happy and I can't trust it. Sure, yes. <laughs> there was a thing I thought about that made me happy that wasn't a sermon or a hymn, and oh yeah. Lord, what can it mean? And I think there's a little bit of this going on that may need to be picked apart, right? No, it's absolutely right. It's absolutely right. I, I want to walk through, this is a great question. We're so glad you wrote in. I want to walk through kind of three provisos, three limitations for you to think about. And then I have a, a question that I really want you to consider. So here's the first proviso and limitation is in life, it's very hard to prove a whole lot of things. For example, you feel like your grandma loves you. Prove it. It's very hard to do that. You, you know that she loves you. Well, she bought me all those memberships to Dominion Dating. <laughs> that could prove the other thing, actually. <laughs> yeah. So your grandma, you know, she doesn't buy you a really super creepy, overbearing one-month subscription to Dominion Dating. And she's, she's always positive and encouraging and blah, 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 blah. And so, I mean, you know that she loves you, but, but prove it. You, and you kind of can't, there's not, that's just not how that works. There's not a way to prove that your grandmother loves you, even though you experience her love. So again, kind of limitation one is there's a lot of important stuff in life that can't be proven, which is important for us to keep in mind. Thing number two, almost anything, including any good thing can be turned into something bad. Um, you look at the way that Jesus talked about prayer, um, you can turn prayer into something ugly and offensive to God, which is super weird that it is true, but it's it's definitely for sure true. So 
there's nothing so good and so wonderful and so right that you could just go forever in any direction and it would always be good and wonderful and right. That's that's the next proviso. And then the third one is this side of eternity, you will always have mixed motivations about everything mm. you do in life. You will never do anything from just the pure goodness of love in your heart. You are that, – that doesn't exist. There is no such thing as that. And so if your thought is, well, I need to find a thing where I have only perfect motivations, well, you, you will never do anything because, again, that's just not how life on planet Earth works. So, again, there's lots of things that are important that can't be proven to be true, even though we kind of know they are. Um you can turn anything good into something bad, and you will always have mixed motivations. We, we need to, to bear that in mind because in many ways this is a question about discernment, and we need to, to bear those three things in mind. But now here's the big picture thing for you that is just a question I want you to cook on, which is why don't you trust your own sense of joy? I really want you to think about that. And maybe let's start here. Who told you not to trust your own sense of joy? Like, who suggested to you that joy was suspect, that right. joy was something to be suspicious of? I've done a lot of bad stuff in my life, and I've done a lot of bad stuff in my life knowing it was something bad that I should not be doing. And I don't know that joy was ever something I felt as I was doing it or around it. I felt relief pretty frequently. I felt a sense of, well, it's about time I get mine. I felt anger. I felt a uh, righteous indignation, but I don't know that I have felt joy exactly, exactly when I was doing something wrong. Um, so the idea that like you, it's a, the devil's trap and you're going off and, and, and he's deceiving you with joy and that's how he's getting to you. A, that doesn't really track in my experience. B, yep. I can't really find anything in the Bible that would support that. So that kind of leads back to who suggested to you that you can't trust your own sense of joy. Um, what the Bible does say is that the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Uh, that's, that's an important one. It says that joy is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit within you, um, working God's character more deeply into your heart. And the thing that I have experienced is that when I am getting closer to the person that God made me to be and am living the, the kind of life I was designed for joy tends to be a byproduct of that. That's, that's been true in my experience. It's, it's not true a hundred percent every day, all day. It's not like that, but in, in a big picture sense, I, I, I think I have found that to be true about joy. So I really want you to look at who told you not to trust your own sense of joy mm -hmm. and what would it look like for you to begin to turn loose from that? It's such a great place to start this off and a very, very important and good, deep question to consider. And Lee, what would you have to add to that? I mean, you've already heard such great stuff on this. I, I, if I could, I just want to speak for a minute as a dad. Um, one, of the, one of the coolest things about being a dad is, is just watching your kids enjoy things. And you never know what they're going to be. Um, I... I I remember a couple of years ago, um, two of my three kids and then all three of them got really, really into uh, an anime show called, uh, Avatar, the last airbender. I, I have a feeling that's a very famous one. I'm, I'm not very, I think I, so. 
Okay, I don't know a ton about... People were mad when M. Night Shyamalan made a movie out of it, so... Yes, uh, he apparently ruined it. But the, you know, the the kids were got really, really into to this TV show, and... And I got to tell you, like, it was just really fun as a dad watching them enjoy it. Um, at the exact same time, I knew with 100% certainty that if that had been the 80s, when I was growing up, um, the people at my church would have been against me liking it. Oh, yeah. Um, because some of the people in the show have kind of uh, abilities that are kind of like magic spells and stuff like that. And I, I had this, I had this realization when I was watching, I was watching my kids enjoy this show and thinking, man, I I can see the Sunday school teacher that would have disparaged me liking this show. And I really, really am enjoying how much my kids are liking watching this show. And I remember, uh, at last, this past Christmas, uh, Christy uh, my wife, Christy, went online and found a T-shirt uh, with characters from this show for our for our youngest kid and thinking, oh, man, when you put this in the stocking, like, this is going to blow his mind. He's going to be so pumped. And it's still, like, one of the guy's favorite shirts. And just as a parent, just watching your kid enjoy things is – it's just a joy of parenting. Um, God is a good dad. He he loves his kids, and he, he likes the things that you enjoy. You have dreams and aspirations. You have things that interest you. You have things that, that move the needle for you. He put those things into you. He likes that about you. He likes the, the things that, that, that make you laugh. I, I, I guess this is a, maybe like a year and a half ago, uh, or so ago now. I remember texting Matt and, and, our, and our buddy Charlie because... My my daughter Nora had independently found on Netflix Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Oh yeah. And she, she didn't she didn't think that I had ever heard of this, so she was like, Dad, I just found this movie. I'm like seven minutes into it. It's amazing. This guy <laughs> is not riding a horse, but his servant is clapping together two empty halves of a coconut. And I I'm losing my mind. You've got to come watch this. And I was like, well, do you want me to quote the whole movie for you now? And she was like, <laughs> you've seen this? And then she and I just w- had like a deep dive. And it was just like, you know, just she just likes she likes the kind of comedy that I like. And like we share these things together. The, I think one of Satan's clever tricks is to make you feel like you're bad for enjoying things in a disinterested way. Uh, because he just wants you to feel bad about things. That's that's one of the tricks of the enemy. And one of the sweetest things about when you come, the, the more deeply you come to know the real Jesus is that you find that he really, as Jeb was saying before, he's interested in you having joy. He's interested in you having things that you like, things that just make you happy. And they're not things that make other people happy. They're just they're things that make you happy. The things that you're into, the things that that move your needle, the things that the things that make you excited, the things that give you energy, those are things that he put inside you for a reason. He wants you to he wants you to explore those things. He wants you to get good at those things. He wants you to do deep dives into those things. He wants you to nerd out on those things. 
Jesus made you uh, uniquely you, and he likes all of those things about you. And I think the more people celebrate the stuff that they're into, that's not, that you can't directly point to and say like, this thing is mean or it's wrong or it hurts someone else. If, if it's just, if it's something that doesn't tick any of those boxes and you just like it, that's actually a holy enterprise that you would dive into and explore and nerd out on things that are, that, that are, are, are not harming anybody in any way. And you just like them. That's actually a holier thing than you think it is. And the more that you can set yourself free to, to believe that and to enjoy it, the closer to a, a, a true and honest relationship with Jesus we're going to find ourselves in. I think that's both. Both are just such great points, and there's so much good stuff going on there. One, one thing I will, I will put on the end here is, of the many kind of wrong messages that have been put towards a lot of people about joy, about dreams, about that kind of stuff, one of them, and it's not necessarily so much Christian, it's very Western culture, but I think a lot of that's tied up together, is the idea that in order for a, a dream or a fantasy or a thought to be good, it must be realistic. And that's not what dreams are for. Um, dreaming big is not a a vice or a problem or a a sign of naivete or an issue. Um, we talked in the show before, and I believe it Jed coined the phrase of having a holy imagination. Mm, Letting your yeah. imagination run wild is a good thing. Yeah, you you may dream about you know hitting the lottery and moving to to some far flung country and living there and not having to do anything. And is that ever going to happen? Probably not. But is it bad to you might think about a place you want to vacation or a culture you want to learn more about, or you might just have. Uh, something that sparks your interest is, as Leah is saying, when you when you l- look for reasons to quash and extinguish your joy, you can't let your joy lead you anywhere. When even if it's not realistic, even if it's not implementable, even if it's not a good idea, if you just let those dreams and those joys and those ideas happen, they often lead you down a road where it comes into things that do end up. Yeah. As part of your real life that do end yeah. up happening. You know, I'm on a show with two guys who uh, make music as a big part of their job. And it's not touring around with a rock band like they, they guess it would have been when they were 15, but they chase that. Thank dream. God. By yes. the way. <laughs> and they're both here because of it, but they didn't say, well, I'm never going to be a rock star. So why I'm just going to pawn my guitar and <laughs> Right. You know, buy a pen and pencil set or whatever. I don't know. Nice pair of dockers. <laughs> That's right. You know, if, as these guys point out, God wants you to have joy. And one of the reasons it doesn't have to be applicable to anything. Joy is just good. And God wants hmm. you to have it. It doesn't have to play to anything. But the other thing is, in a lot of ways that we've experienced for ourselves and for other people, God wants to bring those things that give you joy into your life. He wants to make yep. them real. He wants to let you use them. But if we get distrustful and contemptuous of, of joy and dreams and imagination, then that, that doesn't lead us anywhere to go. And I don't think that's anything like uh, what the life God wants for you. And so do not be afraid to dream. Do not be afraid to imagine. There's nothing wrong with any of that. As, as Lee very rightly points out, if there's anything I think the, the enemy would actually want, it is for you to not have any dreams or thoughts that you think can't happen because God can do a lot of work. And those thoughts you think can't actually 
come to reality. All right. If you have a question for us, say at podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask. If you want to keep that entirely anonymous, I want to say one more big thank you to Vicar Derek Kabilis for joining us to chat. Uh, crossover Q, if you want to check that out. If you want to check us out online every Tuesday at facebook.com slash the bridge Chicago, 7.30 p.m. Central Time, we do hope you will join us. Check out the song this week. It's been a while since we've heard from our old friend Eric Peters. Ooh, right. uh, a song he recorded for us several years ago. This is his version of him, Come Ye Disconsolate. Mm. He got that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Dominion Dating. Please join our website. Please. Please, please. No one appears to like this. Maybe just give it a chance. How about a free month <laughs> trial? I'm so alone. <laughs> Come ye disconsolate Wherever you languish Come to the mercy seat Fervently kneel Here bring your wounded hearts Here tell your No sorrow.